The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Grace and peace to you this morning. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Uh, We're so glad that you've decided to to join us for our worship. Um, This morning we're in a a study of the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, you can be turning to Acts chapter 2. That's where where we're going to focus our attention today. The story of God coming to earth is a remarkable one. Not simply because God took on flesh, which is remarkable in and of itself, but because he was born in a remote part of the Roman Empire to parents who were not royalty or even wealthy. Jesus was born in a barn, and his first bed was a feeding trough. The last three years of his life, he did not have a home. Now, if we were told that God was coming to earth as a human being, then this would probably not be the life that we choose for him. This is not what we would expect for the God of the universe. But God often works in mysterious ways. Maybe just as surprising are the people whom God surrounds himself with. These are the people whom he chooses to be leaders, and yet they are not what we might expect. Now, we're familiar with the process of choosing a leader. As a culture, we relish this process. A year and a half before we must choose a president, people are beginning campaigns, and news stations are covering their every move. We talk about the vetting process And it is quite a thing to behold. We believe that we are choosing the best candidate, the perfect person to lead us. But often, they let us down. They make moral mistakes. They make political mistakes. They do not always show the wisdom we thought they had. We are not as good at choosing leaders as we would like to believe. Of course, we should not be surprised by this. The same was true in biblical times. At one point in the history of Israel, the people wanted a king. Now, God told them this was not a good idea. Samuel, the judge at the time, a person who was a prophet, who spoke for God, he told them it was not a good idea. But they still wanted one. So God let them have what they wanted. The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. And the people were very excited. Why? Well, because Saul was handsome. He was tall. He he looked like a king. They had an idea in their heads of what a king should be, and Saul was it. And yet it did not take long for the people to realize that Saul was not the king They thought he would be. He was given to fits of anger and rage. He was filled with jealousy. He did not always make the right decisions. Now, the next king that God would choose did not look like a king at all. 
His own father doubted that he was the one whom God wanted. His appearance was not stately. But God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this king would be the greatest of the kings in the history of Israel. He was a shepherd. He was a man after God's own heart. His name was David, and every king that came after him would be judged according to his legacy. When we think about the people that Jesus chose to be his disciples, none of them would have passed our vigorous vetting process. Simon, a zealot, would have been considered too radical. Matthew, a tax collector, too political. The fishermen would not have the experience or education needed to be a good leader, and yet these are the very people whom Jesus chose. And then there is Peter. He is the disciple that gets most of the attention in the gospel accounts. Peter speaks up more than anyone else. He has ideas that are often wrong. He sticks his foot in his mouth on more than one occasion. He is probably not a person any of us would choose to lead the church. He has faith to walk on water, but that faith quickly fades and he begins to sink. He is the first to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, but he is confused about what it means. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me. Satan. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he suggests building a temple for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah, and he is rebuked by the voice of God. When the guards come to get Jesus, he cuts off a man's ear, and Jesus has to put it back on. And in his most unflattering moment, he denies Jesus three times. If we were choosing elders, Peter would never make it. He talks too much. His faith is wavering. He has some really bad ideas. His theology is not right. He does not believe the right doctrine about who Jesus is. And to top it all off, he once denied Jesus three times. He would never make it past our vetting process. And yet, this is the person Jesus chose. And this is the person who preaches on the day of Pentecost. A day when God is breaking into the world. His spirit is poured out on all flesh and thousands are converted. Could this be the same person that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Could this be the same person who stumbled on the water? The same person who was rebuked by Jesus? Could this be the same man that once denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Last week, we looked at how God was doing something big in the scope of history. He was telling the rest of the story. 
Something new was happening on the day of Pentecost when many Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate this important festival. God was changing the world. He was working to make something incredible. But God doesn't just work on a large scale. He also pays attention to the details. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that he knows how many hairs that we have on our head. And I think sometimes we get the idea that we serve a big God who's only interested in big things. We think that if God is going to do something, then it's going to be with an entire country, an entire nation, and not my individual life. Of course, this is wrong. On the day of Pentecost, we see God doing both. He's working on this large scale. He's doing something big, but he's also working on a small scale. He's turning the world upside down, but he's also turning Peter's life into something amazing. And so Peter goes from the guy who says all the wrong things to the guy who says all the right things. He goes from the guy with a wavering faith to the guy with an abounding faith. He goes from the guy who denies Jesus to the guy who proclaims Jesus to the masses. And sometimes we come to Acts chapter 2 and all we see is the big picture. But we need to take a moment and notice the small picture. We need to remember where Peter was and how far he has come. We also need to remember that Peter does not become the person he is overnight. He spends three years with Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see the fruit of his time spent with Jesus. But he still has things in his life that he needs to work on. Paul will talk about a time when Peter did not show the courage when it came to Jew and Gentile relationships. And so we need to remember that discipleship is a lifelong process. Being a Christian means we are seeking to be like Jesus. And this takes years of prayer, study, and reflection. Peter comes a long way in three years. But he still has room to grow. Why do the, the gospel writers spend so much time on Peter? Well, I think it's because we are all like Peter in different ways. We sometimes stick our foot in our mouth. Our faith sometimes wavers. We don't always have the right doctrine. Some of us may have even denied Jesus at some point in our lives. And yet, Peter is essential to the church. He preaches this sermon where thousands come to know Jesus. And although he makes many mistakes, God never gives up on him. He continues to work in the life of Peter. And the same is true of us. Peter has his ups and downs, but he never gives up. He keeps pressing on, and eventually things happen in Peter's life that he could have never imagined. 
There are certain things in Peter's life that that we do not need to imitate. But the one thing we do need to imitate is Peter's persistence. Too many times we falter or we stumble. And when that happens, we maybe just want to give up. But that would be a mistake. Peter was never too proud to try again. You know, you figure that after Jesus calls you Satan, you may want to take a break for a little bit. You know, take a couple days off. But not with Peter. He gets up and he keeps on going. We're not asked to be perfect. We are asked to be faithful. Peter never gave up. And because of this, God continued to work in his life. And the same is true of our own lives. God never gives up on us. Transformation takes time. But if we remain persistent, then God will do things in our lives that are incredible. We will become a new person, a person that is quite different than the one we were before. And so when Peter begins his sermon... He explains this miracle that has just happened. The apostles were given the gift of speaking in languages they had never learned or never studied. And because it was Pentecost, there were many people gathered in Jerusalem from different parts of the world. There were many nations and languages present on this day. But somehow the apostles were miraculously able to communicate with everyone there. And people did not understand what was going on. We would not understand what was going on if we were there. Some were amazed, but others were doubtful. They accused these men of being drunk. But Peter says, this is not the case. After all, it's still early in the morning. What is happening, he says, is exactly what the prophet Joel said would happen. God is is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. And so I want you to listen to what, what Peter says and listen to the words of the prophet Joel. And this comes from Acts chapter 2. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, And the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The prophet Joel speaks about more than just miracles here, he speaks about time. And this is a time that many Jewish people were longing for. 
A time when God would show up and he would act. And Peter says, this is happening now. This is what Joel calls the last days. Now, there is a lot of confusion over this term nowadays. Uh, Religious people and secular people both use it. And it's often used to refer to the time right before the world will end or, or maybe the time right before Jesus is going to come back. However, it is a period of time that began after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so you can go look at a passage like Hebrews 1-2, where the author of that book professes to be living in the the last days, right then and there. And so this, this, this term, the last days, was a phrase used to talk about a time when promises would be fulfilled. It is a climactic time when the things the people of God were longing for would come to be. And Peter quotes Joel to let everyone know that this is it. This is the time. They are now living in the last days. In fact, there are two time periods mentioned in this prophecy. Uh, The last days is mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 17. And... Peter lets us know that this begins right there in the book of Acts. And then he mentions the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And this is mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 20. And so we are in the last days right now. We are living in a period of time that began in Acts, and we are looking forward to this other period of time, the return of Jesus. A lot of people try and complicate these time periods, but it's as simple as that. In Acts 2, God is turning the world upside down. Miracles are happening. Promises are being fulfilled. And at the same time, God is working in the life of Peter and in the life of others. This uneducated man that three years ago was a fisherman is now changing the lives of many. He's letting the world know about Jesus. And this is amazing. But there's something even more amazing that we have not talked about. God is bringing people together. The nations are gathered in Jerusalem, and the apostles are speaking in languages that everyone can understand. God's Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. Slaves, servants, men, women, all are being called by God to be a part of this marvelous moment. And we should take a minute to note that the Spirit of God is not being poured out in Rome at the emperor's palace. It's not being poured out in the temple at Jerusalem where all the religious authorities are gathered. It is being poured out among ordinary and average people. And this good news is not just for royalty. It's not just for people in high places. It is for everyone. 
Peter, quoting Joel, says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not just a day of miracles and promises being fulfilled. It is a day of salvation for everyone who is willing to turn to Jesus. And this is amazing. This is good news. Once Peter finishes his sermon, the first response is, what should we do? What do we do now, Peter? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That invitation that was given 2,000 years ago still stands today. Thousands were saved on that day because they submitted their lives to the Lord. Peter's life was changed because he continued to humble himself before God. Where are you at today? What do you need to do? Whatever it is, why not come now as we stand and as we sing?